0: Well, this morning uh, we're going to spend our time in the Word together just a little bit differently than what we normally do. If you're here on a regular basis, uh, you know most often that I teach in series of messages and we just... ...wrapped up a series, and usually I teach uh, verse by verse through a section of Scripture, through a longer section of Scripture, that's called exegetical teaching. But this morning, I'm going to preach a one-off message, uh, and the title of that message is Better Together. And uh, it's going to be a little more of a topical message, but I want us to begin the conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me, and that's where we get started at uh, this morning. This week, I was looking at some statistics uh, from the world of sociology as it relates to relationships and people and, and how we actually interact in our society. And sociologists tell us that the number one epidemic in America uh, is loneliness. According to the National Opinion Research Center in Chicago, the number of Americans with no close friends went from about 10% in 1985, and that has grown now to about 24.6% in our modern, current Culture And research has consistently found that often uh, the one factor that's common in the difference between happy and unhappy people is the presence of significant and meaningful relationships. Now, do not overlook that word uh, significant when we talk about relationships because we live in a culture uh, where you can have a thousand friends and no one to talk to. And so the reality is this morning, uh, loneliness is not the absence of faces, it is the absence of... Of intimacy is what one writer said. So over and over again, we see this idea in Scripture. uh, The biblical principle is simply this, is that we need each other. So here's what I want you to do this morning, just in case you're not fully awake. I want you to turn the person next to you and say, you need me. You tell them that, right? And some of them are looking back going, not as much as you think. Amen, like like not, you're not all that, right? But listen, Scripture over and over teaches uh, that we need each other. And so the question comes, for what? Like, like, is life not easier just to manage by yourself and not get entangled in a complex of relationships and trying to care for someone else and watch out, you know, what kind of mood they're in, those kind of things. So, so what exactly do we need each other for? Well, uh, I'm going to walk you through four reasons that we need each other for. Biblical truths that prove consistently that we are better together in the body of Christ. And so I want to start off this morning. We're going to find the first one here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I'm going to pick up the text uh, beginning in verse 12. It says, for as one body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. They have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ears could say, because I am not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. "...nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Uh, No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part uh, which lacks it, that there should be no uh, schism in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members... Individually, And so I want to walk us through this morning uh, four reasons why why we're better together. Why, in fact, that when we make that statement, turn around and say, hey, you need me, that we can actually back that up with Scripture. And so this is not an exhaustive list of why we're better together, but it's for the most prominent principles, how God has designed sanctification to work in the context of biblical Community And so uh, this morning I just want to walk us through those principles. The first one we find here uh, in this text in First Corinthians chapter 12 is that we need each other first and foremost for suffering to be lessened. For suffering uh, to be lessened. Uh, what, one of the things that happened that I, that I consider a great tragedy is that at some point in time, like we studied the early church in the book of Acts there uh, early on, chapter two, you know, chapter three, some of those things. What we find out is that they were loving for each other. They were discipling each other. They were extending pastoral care to each other. They were doing all those things in the midst of that body. And somewhere between the early church and our current church culture, we've taken the work of care and discipling all those things and turned it over to the professionals. And so what happens is we, we bemoan the fact there's not a lot of spiritual maturity in the church in America, but the reality is you've, you've got a handful of folks trying to do those things when in Scripture clearly teaches it's the responsibility of the body of Christ to come alongside of each other. Paul is writing here contextually to a church that's totally messed up. I heard a guy teach a series through First Corinthians. There was all kinds of dysfunction going on, doctrinal issues, relationship issues, just all kinds of things. And so I heard a guy teach a series through First Corinthians one time, and the title of the series was just jacked up, right? And so that was the title of the series because that's an apt description of what's going on at the Church at Corinth. And so one of the things they had neglected, they began to do, is they just realized uh, that they, I, I can live this Lone Ranger Christian life. And and I don't need anybody else. And and I don't know that you told me, but if you do need me, I don't like that. And so, so he said, hey, listen, you all are a part of a bigger picture here. And one part of the body can't say, I don't need you. Another part says, I can't need you. And one of the things that we need each other for is to come alongside us in seasons of suffering and for those to be ministered to one to another instead of just the professionals extending that kind of care to people. Look at verses uh, 25 and 26. What does he say? He says, but that members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. You know what? Oftentimes we, we teach this passage. And this is a great passage on spiritual gifts. And so when we think about this passage, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a passage about spiritual gifts. And and you've got a gift. And so you should do your part. and I've got a gift and I'm going to do my part. And we need each other to kind of labor along together. Can I just tell you that, yes, that is a part of this passage. But when you look at the end there in verses 25 and 26, he's saying, hey, listen, you don't just need each other to lighten the load of work in the church. You need each other, period. To care for one another. You need each other to come alongside of you and lift you up and to carry those burdens. Now, some of you are thinking, you know what, that, that's the job of the professionals because I'm not qualified to do that. Like, I didn't go to seminary and I'm not told, like, I, don't, I don't know what that was, so that's above my pay grade. I'm not qualified to do that. Hear what I said this morning I didn't say to fix their problems, just care for them. But we get so caught up on, on wanting to fix each other's problems. That's not always what someone needs. Did you know that? Like, like one of those uh, realizations is that sometime in my marriage, I think I heard this taught and my wife confirmed that it's true, that sometimes in my marriage, when my wife shares a struggle or a burden or a concern, uh, she's not looking for the solution. Now I've got to tell you, as a guy, I think that's dumb. Amen? Like if you share, like, like I've got the answer, here it is. Right? And so sometimes she's not sharing to get an answer. And so I start, you know, I don't realize I'm always, you know, astute to that. And so I start waxing eloquent. I can just see like eyes glazed over like, okay, here we go. Right. Sometimes they don't want an answer. They just want to be heard. Now, I just got to be honest. I still think that's dumb. Amen. But I understand it. And so when we talk about caring for each other, you may just think, oh, I'm not qualified to disciple anyone, I'm not qualified to counsel anyone, I'm not qualified to to care for anyone, so we're just going to leave that to the professionals. But early, listen, the pattern of the New Testament early church and the evidence here when Paul's instructing them is that we're discipling each other, we're caring for each other, and it should all happen in the context of the body of Christ, not just a handful of professionals, and so... He calls us uh, to the standard over and over. So let me tell you just so biblically that that's how the church is supposed to work. Let me tell you practically why that's a necessity. Uh, We're by no means a a mega church, but we've got around 800 folks uh, that come here. And so that's a larger church. And there's about four of us who are pastors full time and uh, five of us total. And so the reality, if we're going to extend care to all those folks, it's let me tell you what's going to happen. I promise you people are going to fall through the cracks. People are going to have struggles and and no one's going to know. People are going to, you know, say, I came to that church week after week after week after week. And I was walking through a difficult season and and no one ever called me. And sometimes that happens. And so often, though, what we find out is in that context is they've never placed themselves into a smaller group of believers who can know them and care for them and carry their burdens with them. But then they get mad at us. and, And that's the dynamic that plays out. And so what he's saying is, listen, you need each other. And one of the reasons you need each other is not just the work, which is the first part of that chapter. You need each other to extend pastoral care to each other. That's how it's supposed to work. People know me. They know my struggles. They walk along with me. They encourage me. They counsel me. All those things is the responsibility that you and I have. Now, is that my responsibility? Yes. In this aspect, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't care for people because it's my job. I don't counsel because it's my job. I do those things because I'm a part of the body of Christ and I have a responsibility to those in the body of Christ. And so he says we need each other for seasons of suffering uh, for that to be lessened. Uh, And the reality is, practically speaking, that that can only happen if you're known. That can only happen if you're known and people know you at a deep level uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, uh, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. That, that, listen, that can't happen if this is the only environment you place yourself in. Second Corinthians chapter one says, blessed be the God of our father, Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We love that. Do we not let God comforts us when we're struggling? But, but listen to the second half of that verse, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation. We like that. But here's why he does that. Comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. The reason God comforts us is that so that we can come alongside and comfort others and let them experience all we've experienced from the Father. And that's why, listen, that can't happen in this room. Scripture says in Galatians 6, bear each other's burdens, Galatians 6 two. That can't happen in this room. Room. hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says spur one another on to love and good works that can't happen most effectively in this room you can walk in out of this room every single week and again it's not a mega church but it's big enough where you can walk in every single week never talk to anyone never be known no one knows you you don't know anyone else and in and out and get your jesus fix and leave every single week let me tell you that's not how god has designed the church one of the scriptures of the church we call a faith family and if you said, hey, I'm in a family, but I don't speak to anyone in my family, and no one really knows me, and I try to slip in under the cover of night and I leave in the morning, what would we call that? We would call that dysfunctional, right? Like, how's, how's, your, how's life going on? It's great. I don't even talk to anybody. It's fantastic. But yet, when it happens in the faith family, we call it normal. You see what I'm saying? We need each other for burdens to be shared. For, for encouragement, and for when seasons of suffering come, not, not if they come, when they come, people around us, instead of a handful of professionals, the people around us care for each other. That's what he said in First Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26. And hear me this morning, that will never happen in your life if you are not known, and you'll never be known if this is the only environment you place yourself in. And so we need each other. Why? Why are we better together? Because seasons of suffering can be lessened. That's one of the roles of the body of Christ this family of faith. And so Paul's right. We're better together uh, to help in suffering. Second uh, thing I want you to see in Scripture this morning, it's not in this text, so again, it's a little more topical, is this, is that we need each other uh, for growth and change. We need each other for growth and change. Do you realize this? That the true picture of who you are is often not revealed in the mirror. My experience is that guys struggle with this. Guys, guys listen. A woman gets in the mirror and is just like, I, I look terrible. My hair. I need to get. I need to. You know, I just. I just look terrible. Listen. A guy gets in the mirror. I'm looking pretty good, right? Like guys. Like and, and so guys. Like guys, guys. aren't. You know. What, what are you going to do? I'm going I'm to pick up the phone, and call my boyfriend, and just talk to him. Right? He's like, what? But a girl, listen. I spend all day with my girlfriends out shopping. Those, you know, those. Listen, God, we just struggle in this area. But the reality is this: man or woman, we don't always see the truest picture of ourselves revealed in the mirror. But the true picture of ourselves is revealed not in the mirror; it's revealed in the Word of God and in the face of a friend. That's when the truest picture of ourselves. Because often I see myself for who I want to be, and others see me for who I truly am. Proverbs chapter twenty-seven verse six says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That, that's an odd verse, is it not? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why, why would a friend wound us? Because sometimes they see things that we don't even see in the mirror. They see things because they're living in a re- deeper relations to us and they speak truth in our lives and it wounds us. It hurts us, but it describes that wound as being a faithful. And why? Because it's something I needed to hear, even if I didn't want to hear it. And so faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's the reality. So, so where is the true me revealed? If I want to get a true picture of my heart, I want Christ to change my heart. Where is the true me revealed? It's not in the mirror. It's in the word and it's in the context of friendship. Let me tell you how I know that. If you hang out with people and you truly get known on a deeper level, they're going to draw your heart out of you in those relationships. Listen, uh, in the last 14 years, I don't know how many people I've counseled in premarital counseling. I don't know how many times I've done sat down sometimes with very young couples. You, You know what I've noticed? Is that nobody, when they're single, thinks they're selfish? Like, right? Like, listen, I've never sat down with a 21-year-old guy and he goes, "I'm really anxious about getting married. I'm not sure if this is the right thing, and I'm just, I'm just nervous, and I, all these, you know, but I love her, and so, and, and, and oh, is it commit? You know, just scary. A train? No, you know, no, I'm really selfish. Never once has a guy said that, right? Like a 21, he doesn't even cross it. You know why? Because he's been spending the last year in a dorm with a bunch of filthy dudes and hasn't been trained by a wife yet. Amen. And so he has no idea that he's selfish. And see how that gets drawn out of him? He gets married. They get into conflict. He finds out the root of conflict is his own selfish desires. I'm selfish. I didn't know a relationship drew it out of him. Listen, if you've got a problem with anger in your heart, you can deceive yourself. And you can say, well, the reason I'm angry is because of what they did. And if, and if you knew what they did, you'd be angry too. And, you know, all those kinds of things. When the reality is a great lie of anger that people put it into our hearts. And the reality is that's not true at all. You know what happens when you find out you're angry? You know what draws that anger out of you? It's relationships. When an angry person doesn't listen, a person can do something very minor, but a relationship just, it sets them off. they are like, whoa, where'd that come from? It came out of the overflow of their heart. What drew out of them? A relationship. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. So in the context of the relationship, so I'm going to get angry, right? Relationships draw out a heart. I, I've never had anyone say, you know what? I have an anger problem. What, what's the cause of that anger problem? It's an inanimate object. It's like every time I open a sock drawer, I fly into a rage. I hate those socks and everything they stand for. Right? No, you know what it is? I'm mad at Someone. And so relationships draw out the true condition of our hearts. If I'm selfish, a relationship draws it out of me. If I've got anger, relationships draw it out of me. And so if you're going to be known deeply, one of the ways that God changes us and helps us grow is that in the context of relationships our heart is drawn out and then people who love us enough to speak truth in our lives help partner with God and the Holy Spirit for the work of sanctification which is just a big word for God changing us to make us more like Jesus. Hear me this morning. Sanctification is a community project and the work of God is not done sitting in isolation living a lone ranger Christian listening to a monologue 35 minutes a week. It's done in the context of community because relationships draw out my true heart and I need those people To speak into my life. And so often we avoid community with others because we don't want our heart drawn out. That's why people like bigger churches. They can come in and hide and never form any significant relationships. But you cannot deny the fact that not only has God called us to himself, God has called us to other people. Can I just tell you something that biblically speaking, fellowship is more than fried chicken. Do you you know that? I know for some of you I just said a horrible thing, right? But fellowship, koinonia, means I'm as committed to others as I am to the Father. So does that describe your life? And so uh, Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the reality is simple: this. I can't always clearly see the condition of my heart. I, I'm often deceived by my heart. Jeremiah 17 talks about And So listen to this incredible passage. Hebrews chapter 3. It's a warning and it's a call to believers. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says that. Now listen to the description of someone's spiritual life. You think, oh, that's terrible. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen, that's serious. And so the author of Hebrews has indicated a declining of a progression towards evil, then a hardened heart, then someone who just eventually falls falls away from fellowship, from the faith and those things. And it's an alarming spiritual decline. They just come to the place where the, the things that used to bother them and grieve them and convict them, they're, they're calloused against those things. It is a dangerous place to be spiritually because we get deceived by our own sin and we make excuses. And no one, we're not allowed anyone permission to speak into our lives. And so we get deceived by our own hearts. We just isolate ourselves. And that's exactly right. So that's a terrible place to be terrible place to be say what's the solution what help has God provided to protect people from getting to that place verse 13 but exhort one another every day as long as called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin you know what God's answer for my own heart deceiving me is other people That when I start to get off track and the things that used to bother me no longer bother me. And the things that I would never do now I do and I make excuses about it. But often I get so blinded by my own sin. So deceived by my own selfish heart that I can't even see it. And the thing that God protects me from allowing my heart to get hardened and falling away from Him. Is the people in my life who speak truth into my life. Relationships is the answer God has for that. Biblical, gospel-centered community is God's solution to that. So where does that happen? Where I let people speak in my lives, where I form these relationships, where there's enough trust to receive a faithful wound from a friend like Proverbs uh, talks about. Listen, it only happens in small groups of believers living together, openly sharing, openly discipling, openly correcting, openly encouraging, openly caring for each other over and over. Think think about the alternative. Like, does that happen in this room? I mean, could you imagine, like after church today, someone called you in the ministry mall and said, hey... I couldn't help but notice I was sitting on the other side of the worship center. I couldn't help but notice the way that you were taking notes. You've got a pride problem. What? You know what I would say? You've got a nuts problem. That's You're crazy. All right? So Like someone follows you into the restroom afterwards and taps on the partition to say, I couldn't help but notice they sit across the worship center. You've got a real problem with greed. Listen, if someone does that, call the police. Amen? Like, like that should... And so, but think, listen, if I'm not living in community with other people in some smaller, safe groups, then guess what? The only place for people to speak, it comes in these awkward exchanges where you don't know me and you don't really know my struggle. And so what gives you permission to speak in my life? And so the question is, who has permission to speak in your life? What environments? Because that does not happen in here. And so we need each other for growth and change. It's accomplished. Better together, the work of sanctification happens in the context of community. Third reason we need each other is this. You're going to love this one. We need each other for sins to be confessed. We need each other for the confession of sins. If you would ask me what I thought was missing from most churches, there are several things I could list, uh, but even in a healthy church like ours, one of the things I would tell you that is missing is rare as the church where there is a healthy culture of correction and confession. Like, like we don't let anyone speak in our lives we get incredibly defensive. And then there's also not a culture of confession where I can openly share the things where I've disappointed God and myself. And so therefore, because I can't share it, I just bury it. And so the shame grows in those ashes. And so rare is the reality? And so we resist correction. We end up getting swindled by our own hearts because of that. We avoid confession. And so we never allow anyone else to see the broken place in life. Can I just tell you something this morning? The things that you're ashamed the most about in your life are also the things of the greatest potential for ministry to other people. But we don't have a confessional culture in our North American church And so the reality is, we take those things we're ashamed of and we stack them in the dark places of our heart. And so instead of us speaking that truth and expressing that and receiving the grace of God wash over us and other people come around and love us in spite of the things we're ashamed of, guess what we stack in our lives don't become trophies of grace. Our lives become monuments of shame. Why? Because we don't confess it. We don't confess it. And so Scripture says we need each other. Uh, for a confession to happen. Where's that? It where's ha- doesn't happen here. Listen, I've been doing this 14 years. I don't know how many messages, 14 years of doing this, preaching hundreds and hundreds of messages. Not one time has someone ever stood up and said, I got something to confess. <laughs> Anyone still led this morning? What more the first, right? Like, no, right? And so what happens is we don't share our brokenness. And can I tell you something? It's the broken places of your life that are attractive. It's the broken place of your life that God has walked into and put back together where he alone gets all the glory. It's the brokenness that's attractive and we're scared to death to share it. And so what happens when a culture lacks confession? It produces plastic people. A lack of confessional culture is spiritual Botox. Everyone looks great on the outside but deceive others as to what's going on on the inside because the enemy has told them that their greatest place of shame is the truest thing about them. In reality, it's their greatest potential for ministry. But no one will ever know that because we don't confess our sins one to another because of that. Some of you are thinking, gosh, it feels like you're talking to me. I am. Hear me this morning. If you would come to the place of honest confession and it became a part of the culture of this church and every church in North America, this would be a radical. You listen, you know what? Several years ago, this is not my notes. This is totally for free. OK, several years ago, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He said, I need you to preach the, my fu- uh, uncle's funeral. His uncle was a biker. And listen, I'm not talking about all those dudes who's dressed up right and got the three wheel trike. And so don't, I'm not shaming about that. You got one of those, right? I mean, a biker. And I walked in the funeral home, <laughs> looked in, and I thought, I am scared. And I remember thinking, is there a you know, different funeral, those kinds of things? You know what happened? I'm telling you that some of the most care and compassion and honest brokenness and arms around each other and weeping and open, you know, just sharing, uh, happened in that room that day at the end of that service. And you know what I learned that day? That sometimes the only difference between a bar and a church, because that's how they all knew each other, is in a bar, it's okay to confess your brokenness. And so, what happens? We, we just live these lives and we don't share those things. And it's not, you listen, you're not shared in this room. And we don't want to place ourselves in other environments where brokenness can be exposed, because then what will people think about us? They'll think you're broken, and you are. And that's why you need the gospel. You need a heart that needs redeemed. And so often, Scripture talks about this idea of confession over and over. Listen, confession is not a spiritual attitude that, yeah, we should do. Like, but, but it's the spiritual additive, and so maybe we should do it. No, listen, Scripture says over and over, it's that kind of honesty where deep relationships can be formed. And you can care for each other, and you can share each other's burdens. Why? Because they're known. And over and over, Scripture says, listen, listen to the fact of confession in the New Testament, how it was public confession. Acts nineteen eighteen, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil sin. Openly, I was a sinner and broken and jacked up, and God got a hold of my life and He put it all back together, and it's totally for His glory. And we don't share those stories. Why? Because we hide our shame. Matthew three. People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan confessing their sins and baptized by him. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Strengthened is what that word means in the original language. First John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we're honest about who we are, if we live with spiritual integrity, that's so what he's saying there, we have fellowship with him and with one another. The reason some of you don't have any close friendships is because you won't tell anyone your true story. Hey, listen, I I had this affair and God restored it. I aborted a child and God forgave me and put it all back together. I got horrible spoke about I did this behind their back and God restored that relationship. But some of you will never share that. And so where does that happen? Happens in smaller groups of believers who meet regularly together, who form bonds of trust and transparency, and it's modeled. Doesn't happen in this room. Let me tell you something: how powerful confession is. If we confess our sins, uh, it's powerful because it allows us to release some burdens we've been carrying for a long time. So, see, here's what I know about some of you: some of you like grace as a concept, and you like that grace gets you to heaven. But you've never experienced tangible grace where you've confessed your sins and instead of someone running away from you, they ran towards you and wrapped their arms around you and said, I forgive you and I'm not going to love you any less because that's how God loves us when we sin. And the reason you've never experienced that is because you've never confessed your sins one to another. And listen, I understand that that's a hard thing to do. That's an incredibly difficult thing, but it's incredibly profitable. But the reality is we live in a culture that says, don't don't do that. So one of the things about social media—social media can be great to connect with people, it can be great to, to reach out, you know, just one of the cases. But one of the things that's happened in, in social media is that we cover up our real lives. It's called the Facebook phenomenon. It's like what the e-card says one day: "May your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook." Amen. Like, do you not see those people? And you're like, no, no, I know. Like, I know that you're like, I can't believe, right? And so we just market the high places of our life. And so this is me. Look at my life. And we just market the high places of our life. And so it perpetuates a lack of confessional culture. As opposed to who the real listen, no one ever takes a picture of their dinner table that's loaded with cereal and uncrustables for dinner. It's like, BAM, that just happened at my house, right? Now, no one's out there. Listen, you're out with, you're on a date with your spouse, or your you know, significant other, and you're out just like the perfect picture. Out with my bae, right? No one's ever posting, just got cussed out in the parking lot by my, right? No one's ever posting that stuff on there. And we're just hitting the high point. Just marketing this image of who we want to be. Now, let me tell you what that is. What social media really is for a lot of people, it's a technological fig leaf. So what happened is Adam and Eve, they sinned. They didn't want to get honest about it. They wanted to hide. And when God came up, like, oh my gosh, God's going to find out who we really are. And so they sewed fig leaves together. Can I tell you what some people do on social media? They create this image because they don't want to see the real thing. And so it becomes a technological fig leaf. They hide behind like, like no one's out there going to hell. I just, I just totally sinned like crazy this week. I'm so weeping over my sin. I'm so broken about my sin. I'm, we, please pray with me. No, no, it's like that perfect picture and, like, you know, the verse and all that kind of stuff. And that's me. I'll tell you know a secret. It's not me all the time. It's not you all the time. And so we hide behind fig leaves. All throughout our culture. You see, is it a big deal to confess your sins one to another and to get in a safe place where you can do that? Listen to what David said in Psalm 32. David said, "For when I kept silent, when I held it in, when I kept it to myself, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't eat. Could, couldn't just, just, my bones wasted away. Here's what he said. For night and day your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat Of the summer. And all that happened when he kept silent instead of confessing what he had done. And so confessing one to another makes us better together. And listen, that does not happen in this room. Here's the fourth and last thing why we're better together. We need each other lastly for living out God's purposes. You yeah, there, there's a lot of questions people debate about the specific will of God. Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to work? What's my career? Where do I go to college? All those kinds of things. And I, I don't totally know that God reveals that specific. But let me tell you some things that God does reveal is the general will of God. that's placed on every single believer. And so in Scripture, you can't live all those out in, in, in isolation. In Scripture, there are fifty nine one another commands. Let me just give you a sampling of those. Mark 9 be at peace with each other. Romans 12 be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12 again, honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12:16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 13, love one another. Romans 14, stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15:14, instruct one another. Romans 16:16, 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, totally cultural. Mark that one off, okay? 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. First Corinthians 12:25 he equal concern for each other Galatians 5:13 serve one another in love Ephesians 4 be patient bearing with the one another in love Ephesians 4:32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Colossians 3:16, admonish or offer correction or warning to each other. Hebrews 10:24, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10:25, encourage one another. James 4:11, do not slander one another. First Peter 4:9, offer hospitality to no or to one another without grumbling. Galatians 6-2, bear one of those burdens. Now listen, I could go on, there's 59 of those, but here's the point, I think you get the point. You can't do any of those in spiritual isolation. You can't do those living out this lone ranger brand of Christianity. And that's never taught or modeled anywhere in the New Testament. Not one single place. So here's how I want to close this morning. What I want to do is I want to walk us back through these principles. And I want you... I'm going to ask you which which of these two environments. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to yell out the answer. All right? And so for the first time in your life, instead of the person on stage yelling at you, you get to yell at the person on stage. Some of you are like, oh, God answers prayer. Right? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through these principles. And here's what I want you to yell out. At the end of each one of these, I'm going to say which environment does this happen most effectively. You can yell out worship or you can yell out groups. And so let's walk back through the list. Suffering to be lessened or burdens to be Born together. Does that happen best in worshiper groups? Yell it out. Growth and change to happen where people get to speak into my life because I've given them permission. Worshiper groups. Sins to be confessed. Worshiper groups. Living out to one another. Worshiper groups. So let me ask you a question: Why are you not in a group? Because every one of us just said, Those, that would profit my spiritual life. And so you've either arrived spiritually. Or you've let your own heart get deceived and say, you know what? I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. Scripture said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. Listen, 2000 years later, God has not changed his mind. And you may not think you need anyone else, but if you would involve yourself in a small group of believers, you will learn very quickly that they need you. And my guess is what you'll find is that actually you needed them. Because the simple fact is what the scripture teaches very clear over and over and over and over is that we're better together. Would you pray with me this morning?